Our reading will be in Matthew 13, verse 24. We, uh, as a uh, community, perhaps have been asking a question. It's a question I heard throughout, uh, throughout the week uh, from uh, parents, from uh, high school students, from friends of mine and coaches. And the question that has been sort of resonating throughout the community has been the question of why. As you walk with people in grief and sorrow, when terrible things happen, that is a very frequent question. Why? Why did this evil thing happen? Why is there suffering? Why, what, what was the purpose for this? And I really, really don't like being on the receiving end of that question because sometimes I get that question. Um, sometimes you have asked me that question. And I wish that I had a great answer, and I don't. Um, I don't have a good answer. Um, I wish that I did, and I don't always know what to say, but what I end up doing, and what I would encourage you to do, is just listen. Listen and be available. And pray for them. And have them take the question to the one who can start helping them maybe see the why. And that's to take things to God. There are questions that we get asked that are a little bit above our pay grades, right? And the sorrow that has happened in the last week at the, at the incredible and unfortunate loss of Cameron Fairchild brought that question uh, right in front of everyone this week as we walked through that together as a community to love the family well. This morning I wanted to talk through a text that helps me navigate a little bit of the why. I want to walk through a text that helps me kind of position myself in the world and understand what it is that little Jordan Eckes needs to do in the world, and maybe you would catch a hold of it too for your own self. What is a worldview that we can sort of take with us to engage in a world that is filled with evil and hardship and suffering? How does God want you to live your life? Because if we face the facts that there is a great deal of struggle, a great deal of hardship, and there are so many things that sort of are in contention with you walking faithfully with Christ. And so not just in tragedy, but just in everyday life, how does God want you to interact with the world around you? And not just as a specific individual Christian, but also I think we can think about that in our life together as a community. So I'd like to read the text to you this morning. It's, it's Matthew 13, and it begins in chapter 13, verse 24. It's the parable of the weeds. Jesus told them another parable. He had just finished telling them the parable of the sower, and he continues with another. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? 
No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into, the, into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. In verse 36, then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. And they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. At first glance, we would talk to Jesus and say he was a really bad farmer, right? Uh, you sowed good seed, right? Like, what's going on? And and uh, it turns out there's a bunch of weeds in it. And he says, well, there's somebody else came in and, and started uh, sowing the, uh, the weed seed. Um, it, and uh, I thought of a bunch of Michigan jokes right there, but I probably shouldn't do that. Um, sorry, I wandered there in my own brain, and I got derailed. All right. So there was the wrong seed, uh, and they were wondering, what is going on with, uh, with this? And it says, no, the enemy came and sowed the wrong seed. We would get people come to the feed store, and they would come back and say, there was a bunch of weeds in this seed, and, and uh, we would calmly explain to them that there's millions and millions of weeds in the ground already, you know, and they would get all upset with us, you know, and say that we gave them weeds, but anyways... I don't know why I brought that up either, but we're always wondering about the things that sort of sprout up that we didn't put there, right? We, we plant our gardens, each of you, every year, and you have to go through and you have to weed out. Uh, your mom was the queen of weeding and just going, uh, I would see Jean Price out in the garden and she would just have that thing meticulous all the time, ripping out all the things that don't belong. Well, why do you weed uh, out your garden because you know that if the weeds stay it's going to choke out the fruit it's going to uh, prevent there from being a greater harvest 
And so when we look at Jesus and we listen to the story and we think, why is he telling these um, disciples to sort of leave them alone? Let the seeds grow. Let the weed and the seed grow together. And you've probably heard uh, enough sermons on this text to know that uh, the wheat and the, and the weed that they're talking about are two things that when they first sprout up, they look identical. That you actually don't know the difference between um, uh, the weed that Jesus is referencing and the Greek word, that uh, it looks identical to the wheat until the very end when the fruit comes and the yellow wheat and then what the weed turns into is a black sort of top. And you don't know until the very end. You don't know what it is. And so you just have to sort of let it grow. And, uh, and uh, then I start thinking about the Frozen song, you know, let it grow, let it grow. Oh, that might not be it either. There might be a little ADD problem going on this morning. So we'll just hope to God that we get through this together, right? Uh, it's been a long week. So anyways, uh, so as Jesus is sort of just instructing them to let this seed grow, there is this challenge then to, to think about why are we letting what has represented evil just sort of linger there? And if we're honest with ourselves, this is really, really actually something we wrestle with every day. If Jesus accomplished all that he accomplished at the cross, if we believe that Jesus forgave us of our sins, if we believe in the power of Christ, if you are with me and you proclaim that Jesus is Lord and Savior and King and he reigns over the heavens and the earth, if all of that is true, why do we still have these problems? This has been a question that Christians, theologians, scholars, people have wrestled with for years and years and years. And my little ADD sermon isn't going to solve that problem. But there is a sort of fleshing out of this sort of wrestling match and this tension that we have in our hearts. Have you felt grief? Have you felt anger? Have you felt frustrated in your walk with God and wondering, why do these bad things happen? Why do I... Why do I have such a, a anger or frustration towards the kingdoms of the world and the things that are so hurtful and just the suffering and unnecessary evil? If you have felt that tension, then you have felt the tension of what it means to be a Christian, to say that despite the evidence of a world run amok, that Jesus is Lord and, and Savior, that he's king over all creation. We join with Paul and Colossians that says that Jesus is the firstborn over all of creation. So did Jesus accomplish his purposes at the cross? That's the wrestling match. That's the question. Did Jesus establish his kingdom? Did he forgive me of my sins? Did he make the world new or not? And sort of Jesus, he calmly explains that, yes, the kingdom was planted. Yes, all of that was accomplished, but also there was something that was sown that was led there to sort of be disruptive and cause problems and cause tensions. One of my very favorite uh, illustrations, one I've shared uh, probably too many times, but it's the Jamaican bobsled team. I mean, the Jamaican uh, sprinting team. You know, that was a little uh, cool runnings joke. Just make sure you guys are still with me. 
uh, one of the great movies from the 90s. You know, you need to teach your kids and the way they should go. So we show them all the 90s movies, you know, Rookie of the Year, Cool Runnings, important things like that. I also talk to them about Jesus, too. That's good. But um, uh, And so the Jamaican uh, sprinting team, they cleaned up uh, in the Olympics again this year. And it's an old illustration that I got um, from one of the global leadership summits. They interviewed the, the sprinting coach for the Jamaican Olympic team. And it's the most perplexing thing because the coach for the, who coaches uh, Hussein Bolt and all of the fastest people in the world, uh, he is this big guy and round, and he doesn't, uh, he doesn't look like a sprinter. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, he looks like me, you know. It's like, that guy's not going to run very fast. Uh, and so he's just sort of chilling out in a chair. He's got a whistle hanging out of his, halfway out of his mouth, and and he's talking in the middle of their training facility. And they're interviewing this guy. He's like, what's the secret? What's the secret to your success? And he said, I've traveled the world, and I've seen the most renowned, uh, world-renowned training facilities I've ever seen. And he said, it seems like their training facilities are designed to make their uh, runners and sprinters and their athletes as comfortable as possible. And he's saying this in the midst of his training facility, which is a dust-laden field uh, covered in rocks and stones, and the only training equipment they have is ropes and tires. And he says, my job, my job is to make them as uncomfortable as possible, to make them experience so much difficulty in their training so that when they arrive on the well-manicured track, they are ready to go. And I wonder sometimes if God doesn't have this sort of tension in mind, that his kingdom is growing in the midst of all of the tension of the world, that all of these things that have sort of encumbered our faith and and hindered our faith, we will start seeing these things for what they are and we would shed them and that we would grow and be strong. That we would uh, grow and bear a greater fruit by the sort of tension of growing alongside the weeds of the world, the tensions of the world. But God, I think he also has in mind the sort of grace that we need for each day. He says, uh, let it grow, you know, let them both grow together. And you, when you pull it out of the ground, you may not know what it is that you pull out of the ground. You might pull the good out with the bad. How many well-intended times have you tried to do good and you ended up causing more problems? I know I haven't, but you might have done it a time or two. Our well-intentioned sort of trying to root out the problems, and, and there's that sort of tension there of like, I've caused more, I've caused more problems than good. I, you know, and it's so frustrating. It's like, how do, I, how do I do good? How do I try and do better? We went about trying to do cancel culture as Christians. We hop on the, the Internet and say, okay, this is what we're canceling this week because we're mad about it. And we end up, end up facing our own sort of cancel culture, and it's sort of been turned back on us. We think, oh, we're going to cancel everything. Well, then they started canceling the things we liked, and we're like, wait a second. This effort to try and do good, we've often created more problems. So Jesus says, let it grow. Okay. God looks at you, and he... You know, and you can make it personal. You can say, God says, let it grow. 
How many times in your own life, how many times in your own life did you look more like the weed than you did the wheat? You know, I need God's grace every day. I need his mercy. I need his forgiveness. I need it every single day. Because there's a moment where you might catch me (laughs) where I'm looking more like the weed than I am the wheat. Maybe you have had that same experience as well. And so this story sort of just starts giving this sort of sense of grace, but it doesn't really give you a sense of what am I supposed to do. And I know you all like things to do. And so I want to point you to one word. It's in, uh, it's in verse 30. We'll look at 29. Well, we'll look at 28. An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No. No, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. If you're a Bible underliner, (laughs) underline the word let. Underline the word let. And I want you to know the Greek word there. It's off face. That word, off face, uh, has several several definitions. The first one is to let or to leave. And the second definition is to forgive. And I want you to just know how often Matthew uses the word. And so I wrote down a few of its instances throughout the book of Matthew. And it's throughout the Gospels. And it's used frequently in the New Testament. But here's a few times that uh, that Jesus uses the word off face. The one time uh, that he says it is in the Sermon on the Mount. He says it when he's teaching us how to pray. It says, and face us our debts and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Again in 6.14, for if you forgive, if you face others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also uh, face you. Uh, in Matthew 9, 2, uh, what I opened with, when he, Jesus says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven, he says, take heart, son, your sins are afes, or afemai. And he says, for which is easier to say, your sins are afes, or to rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to afes sins. In Matthew 12, he says in verse 31, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be off face, forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be off face. We have it again in Matthew 18, the whole chapter about forgiveness. It actually starts, we see the word off face again. It's in Matthew 18, 12, and we hear it as the word leave. When he talks about the sheep, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave a face, the 99, on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? He's going to leave to go find the 99. Then there's the parable of the unforgiving 
servant. In 1821, then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I uh, face him? As many as 70, uh, as many as seven times. And Jesus says, go, go on to say, you know, to forgive, uh, forgive, a uh, face, to 77 times, or 70 times seven. He tells the story of the unforgiving servant then, and he says, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt, a uh, face, him, the debt. Then his master summoned him in 32 and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you, I effaced you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Over and over again, this word is used as a vision of what God is doing in the world. It's forgiveness, that the Son of Man came to efface, to forgive debts, to release debts. And I just want you to have that in mind. When we read the text again and we look at this simple word, let. Let both grow together until harvest. I want to simply say this. Our job in the world is to be ministers of reconciliation. Our job in the world is not to explain the whys and why do these things happen. Our job in the world is simply to stand in the midst of it and be a forgiving and loving people. To be forgiving for all of those times where you probably looked more like a weed than you did wheat. To be a forgiving person in the midst of the evil and the suffering of the world. I have just one simple illustration that um, in, my, in my time this week, I was receiving story after story about Cameron Fairchild. One story after the next of his servant heart and his kindness and his generosity, but really one story stood out the most. It was a story between him and his father. His father had lived a difficult life and had many struggles, and he uh, found himself in a quite a bit of trouble that uh, his dad wasn't a, really a part of his life. And Cameron, Cameron, who could have had a jaded heart towards his dad, who could have said, you've had nothing to do with me, why should I have anything to do with you now? told his dad, I forgive you and I want to have a relationship with you. Friends, there's a real problem with evil. There's a real problem with the kingdoms of the world and all of the suffering and all of the difficulty and the things that we face as Christians every day. They're to be met with the forgiveness of Christ. Forgive as Christ forgave you. It's not our job to judge. We've, we say that. It's not our job to go out and cancel all of the evil things because in trying to cancel everything, we ended up canceling some of the good things too. We have tried. We have tried every approach to evil 
except for perhaps maybe the one thing God wants us to do most. To be forgiving and gracious and kind people that pour our, out our hearts in a lost and hurting world. There are people who are wondering about Jesus, people who are wondering about hope and how to go forward. And this simple text with this simple word is simply saying to us, forgive. Jesus uses a word that he used with them all of the time, and it would have triggered in their head something, I think, that our posture in the world is to be forgivers. As much as we want to eradicate the world of evil, maybe the thing we need to do is reach out in the midst of the darkness and be a light to shine bright for Christ. It becomes a personal challenge then. It becomes something that we have to internalize for ourselves and say, well, who is it that I need to forgive? What is a relationship that I need to reach out to and, and minister to and love? Who is it that I need to share the hope of Christ with and the forgiveness of God for? Sometimes it's a lot easier to just sort of sit around and say, well, well, that's a weed and we know what it is. Let's do ourselves and let's do the world a favor. And let's let God sort it all out in the end. And let's stop dividing the world into who's in and who's out. Let's stop dividing the world right down the middle of what we think is right and what we think is wrong. Let's stop dividing the world by who thinks like us and who doesn't. Let's stop dividing the world between wheat and weeds. And let's stand as a beacon of light and truth and love. Let's be a forgiving people who offer the grace of God to everyone. Mark Lowry, one of my favorite preachers, offered this simple reminder of what God's grace is like. It's like a little boy spreading peanut butter on a sandwich. He gets it all over everything, everywhere. Let's be, let's be that kind of grace-giving people because that's the way God's grace is for you. God gets it all over everywhere and everything for everyone. And people are going to hear about that through you. To be God's love in a dark and hurting world. Paul calls you ministers of reconciliation. You are ambassadors of Christ. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And we thank you for today. And we thank you for the forgiveness that you've offered us and the love that we have for you. Lord, the love that we have for you comes from your love for us. And we thank you that we thank you that you have allowed us to be your witnesses, to be your image bearers, to be your testimony in this world of your love and your grace. God, there's a problem of evil that you are well aware of. There's a problem of just suffering and hurt and just so much grief and sadness. God, you ask us to simply be forgivers. People who remind other people about your grace for every situation.
So God, help us to be that people and to live into that and grow the great, your grace in us. Grow your love in us. Grow your forgiveness in us. Let us know just how far you have gone to redeem each and every one of us so that we might not give up on others, that we wouldn't give up on brothers and sisters and family and friends, that we wouldn't give up on our neighbors, that we wouldn't give up on people who desperately need you. So Lord, please make us aware of our forgiveness so that we would make others aware of your forgiveness as well. We thank you, Lord, for Christ and the hope and the redemption that we have in him. I pray, God, that you would just continue to lead us as your church. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.